is Gene Williams. I'm one of the young leaders here at Grace Fellowship, and I'm delighted to have the chance to speak this morning. We are going to be in John 18, the first 14 verses. Today, I'm going to be talking about out-of-control situations. <clears throat> a large part of my coming to faith in Christ involved giving up a relationship with a non-Christian girl. We'd begun dating in high school and continued on into college, dated for about four years, and halfway through those four years, someone shared the gospel with me, and I became a Christian. Despite me um, proclaiming to be a Christian, I held on to my girlfriend, even though she didn't want anything to do with Jesus. I can see now that that situation was one such that I was... I felt out of control. I had, uh, on the one hand, the chance to follow Christ, and then on the other, um, the chance to hold on to a girl that didn't love Jesus. And looking back on it now, I can see that I was trying to seize control of that situation and force these two incompatible worlds together. <clears throat> we'll come back to that, and I'll let you know how it all turned out. But for now... Think about your own life. When you feel out of control, how do you react? Is there a typical reaction that you have? Are you the silent type? Do you clam up or run away? Are you the fighter? Do you try and seize control? Is there another reaction that you have? I just shared a little bit about my life. Think about you. Think about a time recently when you felt out of control. What did you do? Keep that reaction in mind as we look at Jesus here in the text and see what he does in an out-of-control situation. If you glance at your outline, I can let you know where we're headed. The first point is what not to do when you feel out of control. Then we're going to be talking about what to do and then followed by what to do when you do point one instead of point two. <laughs> but before we begin, let's ask God for His help in understanding His Word. Father in Heaven, thank You so much for Your Word. Thanks for the chance and the privilege to study it this morning. I pray that You would bless our time in it. Help us to know You more by studying it. Help us to see Jesus and how His death for us covers all our sin. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read the passage. As I said, we're in John 18, the first 14 verses. If you have a Bible, a church Bible, we're on page 588. Beginning at the first verse. When Jesus had spoken these words... He went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. 
Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Okay, first under point one, we are going to be talking about what not to do when you feel out of control. But first, let's set the scene. Let's go through the basic plot of what's happening in this text. We see Jesus and his disciples making their way to the garden. And Jesus at this point is feeling the weight of what he was sent to earth to do. It doesn't tell us this here in John, but we know from other gospels that Jesus is sweating blood at this point or in this evening. He is under tremendous pressure. And his betrayer, Judas, and this this band are coming to get him. Jesus is confronted with this group under the cover of night. They are coming at night with lanterns and torches to arrest the light of the world. Then Peter makes what may be a fisherman's best attempt with a sword and cuts a dude's ear off. Jesus rebukes him for this. We see Jesus then surrender to the arrest. Jesus is bound and Jesus is taken away. Does that situation appear out of control to you? If you were a disciple and you followed Jesus Christ around for three years, sitting under his teaching, watching him work miracles, and now your your Lord and your hero is taken away, he's arrested, how would you feel? If you were Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends... What would be going through your mind at this point? Would you despair? Would you run away? Would you feel angry? Would you try and seize back that control? Regardless of what we would or wouldn't do, let's look at the text and see one thing that Jesus doesn't do. The first thing he doesn't do is run away. Verse 4 and 5. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? Then Jesus, or they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. I'll stop there. Note something about these two verses. Jesus is aware of all that is about to happen to him. That means he's aware of the false trial he'll be put through. He's aware of the mockery he'll be subject to. 
He's aware of, of Peter's denial later that night. Jesus is aware of the beatings the next day he'll have to go through. And he's aware of the nails that will be driven through his flesh to keep him hanging on the cross. Jesus is aware of all of this, and yet he's the one initiating. The text says he comes forward asking who they're looking for. He doesn't run away. He doesn't even hide behind his disciples. Jesus is the one up front doing the talking. Not only doesn't, does he not run, Jesus enables his arrest here. From looking at the text, we see Jesus embrace surrender. Here are some verses to consider. Verse 6. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? Jesus asked this question again, whom do you seek? Knowing full well that he's the guy they're after. Continuing in verse 7. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Again, we see Jesus confessing that that who he is, that he's the guy they're after. And then he says something else. He says, so if you seek me, let these men go. That statement by itself is a picture of the gospel, isn't it? He says, if you seek me, let these men go. Take me so that these men can go free. Jesus knows that if he is arrested, that means his disciples won't be. And if he's crucified, that means his disciples won't be. For a moment, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. If you had this band of soldiers coming for you, you know it's your time, would you have run away? Would you have hidden behind your disciples? Or would you have been the one up front doing the talking like Jesus? Would you have embraced your unjust arrest for the sake of following your Father's will? Think about today. Think about your time at school or at home, at work. When things seem out of control, do you run? Or do you face what the Lord has for you? Do you come forward as Jesus did, trusting your Father in heaven? Let's consider a quick example. When normal everyday conversation turns crucial, when conversation goes from tr something trivial to something of weight, maybe you're with your friends and you're, you transition from talking about the weather to what you think about God. How do you react in those situations? In those situations, we often have the chance to speak up. When you're in one of those, do you speak up or do you run? Do you come forward or do you run away? The second thing that we should not do when we feel out of control is try and seize control back. And that's exactly what Jesus does not do in this passage. 
And it's what Peter does do. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Here we see Peter's reaction. Feeling that the situation is out of control, he takes out his sword and takes a swing. Peter tries to take matters into his his own hands. He's going to fight and try to fix the situation instead of trusting Jesus and trusting the Father. Peter takes a swing completely ignorant of and actually in opposition to the Father's plan. Can you identify with Peter? Think about Peter's track record. This is the same guy who, when Jesus talks about his death and his resurrection, when he foretells it in Matthew 16, Peter says, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But we know that Jesus responds to that with, Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter had his mind on the things of man then. He has his mind on the things of man now. Jesus, you can't be arrested. In fact, I'm going to fight to make sure that you're not. When you feel out of control, do you try to seize it like Peter did? Do you regularly think about the things of God or are you always thinking about the things of man? So I I go to the YMCA pretty regularly to swim for exercise. And one of the times I went recently, I uh I ended up sharing a lane with with a man from Turkey. And uh he was really nice, really friendly and also a bit of a talker. And you have to understand, for, for context's sake, that whenever I go to the Y, I'm usually in the zone. I, I like to go, get in the pool, swim hard, time my laps, you know, get out and get home. But this one time I went, I was having a hard time doing that because this Turkish guy kept talking to me. And I remember the whole time in my sin just thinking, man... I wish this guy would stop talking to me so that I can swim and go home. Um, It ended up that we started talking about faith. He started talking about Islam, and I was able to share the gospel with him and my love for Christ. So despite my mindset, God used the situation. He used me and and. We've been building that relationship with this man and his family ever since. But I think looking back on the situation, I could have cared for that guy a whole lot more by having my mind on the things of God. I was thinking about the things of man. I was thinking about working out and, you know, getting the checklist done for the day and going home instead of eternal things, instead of the things of God like lost souls.
Here's an example to consider for you. Think about the grocery store. When you go, do you ever go intentionally with a thought, I'm going to share the gospel here? Or is it just like milk, eggs, bread, done, go home? Do you set your mind on the things of God or are you always thinking about the things of man? Do you imitate Peter and blindly follow your own plan without trusting God's greater one? Think about your semester or life at home with the kids. Think about work again. Do you take matters into your own hands like Peter, disregarding what the Father may have in store? In summary, when Jesus is faced with this out-of-control situation, we see him not do two things. We see him not run, and we see him not try and seize control like Peter does. We should try to imitate Jesus when we're faced with out-of-control situations. Let's transition now to what to do when you feel out of control. Under point two, we're going to be considering what Jesus does do in this situation. The fill-in here is to surrender to your Father's will. Surrender to your Father's will. For the record, I think this would be helpful to say. Certainly, we, we want to surrender to the Father's will in all of life, both when we feel in control and when we feel out of control. Primarily, this morning, I'm going to be talking about the out-of-control type, which is consistent with the text we're looking at. Okay, we can, we can look at all the verses we just talked about and consider it from Jesus' perspective. Consider his mindset. The game-changer is that he's looking at the whole situation from a godly perspective. Jesus trusts his Father in heaven, he knows that his father is completely sovereign over the entire situation. And repeatedly, we see Jesus make the choice to embrace surrender to submit to his father's will. Under the first point, I mentioned Jesus embracing arrest. I, I gave four evidences kind of scattered throughout all of point one. I'm going to go through those again but consider it from Christ's perspective this time and think about why it leads him to surrender. The first is that Jesus initiates with Judas and his band. He says, whom do you seek? He asks that question not once, but twice. Once in verse 4 and then again in verse 7. Number two, he confesses being Jesus twice. I am he, he says, in verse 5 and verse 8. Number three, he encourages the band to take him. He says, so if you seek me, let these men go. And then number four, right after Peter cuts off Malchus's ear, we get what may be the best look into Jesus' heart at this point. He says to Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus says with certainty that he is going to drink the cup of wrath so that sinners who trust in him can be saved. Jesus refuses to run. 
He refuses to try and seize control. He submits to the Father, illustrating for us the only type of surrender that matters in this world. All these evidences point to one thing. Jesus is actively surrendering to the Father's will. Consider this. Who does it look like Jesus is surrendering to? It looks like he's surrendering to human authorities. Who is Jesus really surrendering to? He's really surrendering to the Father. He's not submitting to this arrest because Judas and his gang wield power over him. The only reason he's letting this happen is because it's his Father's will for him. And that's exactly what you need to do when you feel out of control. Surrender to the Father's will. And you might say, okay, I'll do, I want to do that. I want to surrender to the Father's will. How do I know what that is? Allow me to make what may be a bold claim. If you have a Bible, if you have one of these, you know what God's will is for you. He tells us in this book, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Think back to what Jesus says earlier in this book, John 6.40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall be saved. So doing God's will includes being sanctified, rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, and believing in the Lord Jesus to be saved. Now, that's not an exhaustive list of of what God's will is for your life, but it's a dang good start. Plus, the Lord gave us the Bible. He has given us the Bible and His Son to conform our lives to His will. In summary, when when we see Jesus faced with this out-of-control situation, we see Him not do two things, running and, and trying to seize control. We do see Him actively submitting to the will of the Father. We should imitate Jesus here. Here's the truth, though. You won't always be able to surrender perfectly to the will of your Father in heaven like Jesus. This is actually a great segue into point number three. Let's talk about what not to do, or excuse me, what to do when you do point one instead of point two. That is when you run or you try and seize control or you do anything else that's not the Father's will instead of surrendering to the Father's will. The fill-in here under point number three is to trust in Jesus' surrender. Trust in Jesus' surrender. By God's grace, when we're in these out-of-control situations, we will be able to image Christ and surrender to the Father's will. 
That's the goal. We, we want to be like Christ. But throughout our lives, we will fail at this. You will run. You will try and seize control. You will fill in the blank anything besides surrendering to the Father's will. And that's why you need to trust in Jesus' surrender. The good news of the gospel is that if you have Christ as your Savior, if you look on the Son and believe, you are covered by His surrender. Your sins are covered by His death on the cross. Jesus surrendered to the Father's will in this situation. He conceded to an unjust arrest and submitted to something that He didn't deserve so that every time you and I run or act like Peter, fighting and slashing for our own way, God looks at us and He doesn't see Peter. He doesn't see a sinner. He sees Jesus Christ. And now let's look at some wording that Caiaphas uses. Near the end of the text, we read a retelling of Caiaphas's words. Verse 14. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. While I was preparing for the sermon, I looked up the word expedient. Google defines it as convenient and practical, although possibly improper or immoral. I think Caiaphas uses a good word for Jesus' death. Think about the definition. Convenient and practical, although possibly improper or immoral. Jesus' death for us was very convenient. He died so that we might live. Though it was improper for such an innocent lamb to die the death that he died. Let's take this word expedient and apply it to point one and point two. When you feel out of control, do you do what is expedient? Do you do what is convenient and practical, though improper or immoral? Do you run? Do you try and seize control? Do you do something else? I'd invite you to leave expediency behind and trust the will of your Father in heaven. One more point. The words of the gospel come from Caiaphas' lips, even though he meant his words for another purpose. Caiaphas thought that putting Jesus to to death would be one man dying for the people of the Jewish nation. He thought that it it would quell tension between the Jews and the overseeing Romans. But one thing that, or the bigger thing that Caiaphas didn't see was God's bigger plan of redemption. It was true that Jesus' death would quell tension between the Romans and the Jews. But it it was also true that Jesus' death, one man dying for the people, would save sinners like you and I who don't surrender to the Father's will.
thinking back on my coming to faith, I was in a, a position where I had to choose between following Christ with my whole life and hanging on to my girlfriend who loved, didn't love Jesus. I, uh, I, I again, was in this out-of-control situation that I was trying to take control of. I was trying to force these worlds together. I tried to seize control, but succeeding in that situation was just about as hopeless as a fisherman's sword against a band of soldiers. It was only when I surrendered my life, my marriage plans, and my relationship that the Father started blessing my life. (laughs) Things started to look up. I saw God's greater plan for my life. I stopped living old habits. I started reading the Word and treasuring Christ as my Savior and my life's whole purpose. It's remarkable to see the Lord conforming my life to His will and giving me the grace to be able to surrender. Let's pray and ask the Father for help in surrendering to His will as we look at Jesus on the cross. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the the chance to see Jesus